So last week, Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh. And uh, this is where we, that's where we left off was uh, they went before Pharaoh and they asked to be let go, that, that they would uh, be allowed to uh, go into uh, to take the children of Israel, all of them, and go three days journey into the wilderness to be able to uh, worship the Lord. And uh, Pharaoh was not receptive to that uh, and uh, did not support it at all. And uh, his response was, who is the Lord? You know, so he had the response of, of, I don't know your God. I don't care who your God is. You guys are being lazy. You must have a lot of time on your hands, right? And uh, what he says is, since you're so lazy and since you seem to have, uh, you know, a laziness about you and, uh, you know, the uh, implication here is that they had too much time on their hands. So he said, all right, we're no longer going to provide straw for you, but your daily quota of bricks is is still going to be required. Uh, and so the taskmasters uh, went and beat the uh, Jewish leaders that were put over uh, the tasks also and, um, and also made things very hard uh, on the uh, Jewish people who were in slavery and bondage to uh, Egypt. And uh, so uh, as the leadership was beat, they went and complained to Pharaoh, and uh, and they got told to get out of there again. And uh, they went to uh, Moses and Aaron and accused them, saying, "You've made things worse for us. You know, you came, you said you were going to help us. Where is this God you spoke of? We've heard of him over the years, but but you know, we were we were all on board. They they had gotten the the uh, uh, the elders on board and everything, and." Uh, so they, they were complaining against Moses, and uh, so Moses went to the Lord and asked him, saying, basically, why have you sent this if we haven't been received by Pharaoh? God told Pharaoh, he told Moses that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen. Okay, so when, when Moses automatically went back with this big complaint, uh, you know, God had already told him that his heart was going to be hard. Uh, so that shouldn't have been too big of a shock, but there was a lot of pressure on Moses. You know, if you think the whole nation is turning against you and, and what we've uh, learned in, in, in study uh, is that this could be up to two million people that are now looking at you like you're the enemy. That's all. You guys ever been the, like the one that people have looked at like, oh, you're the one, you know, that's a, you know, you're this big, you know. So so Moses went and he cried out to the Lord, you know, where's the deliverance you spoke of and everything. And we ended up reading to verse one of chapter six. So uh, we'll just continue and pick up here again. But. Uh, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So God is responding to Moses complaint and inquiry. And, you know, as if to say, I'm doing, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, Moses would have been saying of, 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 I'm doing what you told me to do. Uh, but it's all gone bad uh, and you haven't delivered the people. So the Lord is telling him right here that this is all going as he said uh, it would. And uh, you know, he said, now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. So you've, you've experienced Pharaoh's heart now. Mo Moses got a glimpse into what was happening. You know, and 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 didn't understand it as that is is really uh, what had happened here. And uh, so the Lord had to remind him, and He said, "With a strong hand, just know in the end of this, with a strong hand, uh, He will let them go. With a strong hand, He will drive them out of the land." And we know from reading uh, prior to this, and and uh, not necessarily studying through it yet, but uh, that that they do, they're chasing them out uh, at a certain point to try to bring them back, but they're being driven out. So, and they're pursuing uh, Israel. So they're being uh, that that driven out uh, comes true also. So verse two says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty or El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, and we'll discuss that here. Uh, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out 
from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord who brings you brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as an inheritance. I am the Lord. So remember where we're coming out of. At the end of chapter 5 is Moses complaining to the Lord. And we just covered a verse, uh, a chapter uh, 6, verse 1, where it says, Now you shall see uh, what I will do for the strong hand. He will let them go with a strong hand. He will drive them out. And then the Lord says that he's, it's a reassurance to Moses is what is just said here. But these verses here that we just read, 2 through 8, are so precious. And, and we could study those as believers and gain so much out of those verses 2 through 8. Not that you can't from any verses in the Bible, but you learn more about who God is, who we are, and God's promises and his covenant. Uh, so, so as we look at and you know, break down what he said here, just understand that God was addressing what was happening in, in Egypt and, uh, and how Israel was oppressed here. But also when we understand what God has done for us in delivering us from our sin. When we look at that and, and, and we put a different spin on it in a, in a personal study and, and you look at that and you, you look at how it applies to our lives, these are this will knock your socks right off. This is so powerful for us and gives us that strength. Uh, and we understand more of, of who God is. So what he says here is uh, in, in verse two, he says, I am the Lord, uh, all capital L-O-R-D. And I'm probably familiar that, with this, but I, I can't assume that that everybody here or anybody watching uh, knows this. But uh, that when we see the word uh, spelled out in all capitals, the ancient Hebrew uh, didn't use vowels. So uh, what we see here uh, written is is consonants only, and uh, they were pronounced vowels were, but they weren't written uh, uh, weren't uh, written. So the uh, the Greek would call this uh, a tetragrammaton, uh, which means four letters, and the four letters are. Y-H-W-H. And uh, without having the vowels there, uh, there, there has been a lot of discussion and, and debate over uh, was, it, was it Yahweh, was it Yehovah or Jehovah. Um, we don't know for certain uh, because the vowels aren't there. Uh, but uh, most uh, scholars that I've listened to teach and, and any study I've done over the years uh, will, will settle on Yahweh or Jehovah, those, those two uh, that are there. Uh, and uh, what God is doing is he is uh, he's, he's giving them his, his name to be known by, um, and that would be Y-H-W-H. So uh, Yeshua, uh, yeah. Sorry, Yeshua, I'm going to uh, to Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, in reverence for God's name, when reading the scriptures aloud, the Jews would and still do substitute uh, YHWH for Adonai, uh, which means Lord. So uh, they, they will not uh, pronounce his name. And uh, the Greek translation will be Kyrios. So uh, this YHWH, uh, we assume that it's two uh, that it's uh, three um, uh, syllables uh, or, or rather than two. When you look at YHWH, it can be Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, but we, we don't know. Two, two uh, syllables or three, it's not really, um, I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. I wouldn't be, get into a point where we're arguing over it. Um, if you could just say, hey, how about we just settle with YHWH that we have? Uh, and, and, and then we go from there. I personally believe that it's Yahweh, um, but Jehovah's absolutely fine with me. Uh, you know, I'm not going to correct somebody if they say Yahweh or Jehovah. Um, I think in today's culture, especially in America, we're a little, um, a little reserved to say Jehovah just because of the Jehovah's Witness cult. Uh, that does that. So I'm a little more uh, inclined as I'm having a discussion with somebody about that to say, oh, YHWH, 
that could be Jehovah or Yahweh. We don't really know for sure, but uh, you know, we we uh, based on what we have, I don't really care what somebody says, you know, uh, because I understand that when they're looking at this, they're they're doing the best they can with what they have, and that's that's four letters Y H W H. So we don't understand that uh, for sure, but we'll know for certain one day. But ultimately. Understand that God's name is holy and should never be taken in vain. Shouldn't be used as a swear word, but more uh, scripturally would be to take God's name um, under false pretenses or have a false association with God with what we're saying. You know, if we say, I swear to God, okay? So uh, where the scripture tells us don't swear, uh, but, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, and I've shared this before. I know I have, but uh, the easiest way for me to know if somebody's lying when I'm watching cops, right, is is when they look and they say, "I swear to God, I didn't do it," or, and then they'll like play back the video. And so, so what did you say? What was this 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 great proclamation, you know, or declaration you made, right? And uh, oh, 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 yeah, yep. And then they're guilty, right? And so whenever I, I I've heard that before, I've gone, okay, those are the key words right there, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no, the scripture tells us. So the Lord uh, introduces himself uh, to Moses as Y-H-W-H. I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. On all of those are capitalized. Uh, that is, uh, it's speaking of Yahweh or uh, Jehovah. And the Lord says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Now that would be El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, Y-H-W-H, I was not known to them. So God chose to reveal his name, uh, Yahweh or Jehovah at this time, to, uh, to Moses. And he says, I've established my covenant, my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan in which they were strangers. So God is referring to the covenant he made with uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God isn't as forgetful as we are, thankfully. He's not forgetful at all. Um, we, I don't know about you guys, but uh, even if you look at our culture, marriage is a covenant. So when two people make the covenant of marriage, that's why we have a ring here. This ring is, is a circle. It's supposed to mean that for the rest of my life, there's no end between the bond that I have with my wife, Jennifer that we have made this bond and that we will remain married till death do us part. Hopefully the Lord just takes us and we don't have to deal with that, right? But that's that's the symbol there. Unfortunately, in, in America and across the world, they've made this ring and it has hinges on it, right? <laughs> this is my best explanation for it. You guys know I'm not really good with, uh, with analogies or whatever, but it's got a hinge there. And you can kind of just bend the hinge back and just slide it off or whatever. I know the ring comes off, but but that there it could be broken. But that's not what what this is supposed to symbolize. This is supposed to symbolize something that doesn't have an ending. Okay. So we as people will justify reasons why we can break a covenant, and we often will break a covenant with. You ever made a covenant with God and broke it? <laughs> God, I swear this is and, and, and for me it was my very very early days as a Christian, or even not even just thinking I was a Christian. Um, I love how Ken Graves says it. He says regarding being a Christian, you can only be one of three things, and he says you can fit into one of three categories: they, them that is, them that ain't, them that think they is but ain't. You know, he says it. He says it that way. Uh, but those, you know, I, I just it's funnier that way. But. But, you know, we can we can be Christians and have a relationship with God or we can not or we can think we do, but we don't. OK, that was most definitely for me as a teenager that I wanted the charm in my pocket or I wanted the necklace around my neck that God was going to give me this this uh, this favor um, without any obedience to him. That I'd be like, God, I want to go off and do my own will and go do this, and that and the other thing. I know it's wrong, but I still want to go do it. And and I would I would then afterward be like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. You know, it, it, he wasn't my Lord. You know, that that's the problem. Right. So it, it, that I wanted the savior, but I didn't want a Lord. I didn't want a master over my life. So uh, that was the problem. But God is saying here he's talking about his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. 
and that he's telling Moses, I haven't forgot that that covenant. That covenant was with them regarding you folks, right? The people that you're dealing with, Moses, including you, that God had made this covenant with, with all of them. Unfortunately, because of their sin and, and their rebellion, they don't, you know, there's a good portion of them that don't make it into the promised land. Um, but that even that covenant that he would be their God, uh, they, they do enjoy the benefits of that. So we're the ones that break covenants. God doesn't. God reminds him of the covenant that he made. So God says that he heard their groaning in bondage and remembered his covenant. Now, this is a beautiful text that, that we already uh, had already brought this up, but it's it's awesome to look at these and to see the seven I will statements that the Lord makes here. He says, I will bring you out from the from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He's saying he'd lead them away from the land. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you uh, with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. You know, when the Lord says he'll redeem with an outstretched arm, that's his power. He's speaking of his power uh, and great judgments. Now, we're going to get into these judgments. Uh, we're going to start studying them tonight. And uh, these are awful plagues that get poured out on Egypt. Um, but uh, they're, they're, what we see here is the fulfillment as I said that we were going to uh, uh, look at and we were going to reflect on Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14 say, this is the Lord speaking to Abram uh, before he was Abraham. It says, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your, descendant, your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So God's judgment that he promised all the way back in Abraham's life, in Genesis 15, this is what God is saying. Those judgments that I talked to Abraham about, uh, he, when he's explaining this, he's speaking of those judgments. He says further, another uh, four I will statements. He says, I will take you as my people. God just wanted Israel as his people. And God says the same to us. He wants to take us as his people. These are beautiful promises of the Lord that we can apply to our lives. I will be your God. You know, that's the desire of the Lord. If it wasn't God's desire to be our God, he wouldn't have gone through all the trouble of sending his only son to die for us that we might be saved. You know, just the, the gospel is all through the Old Testament. I know I've said this before. It's all through what we're studying right now. The gospel is right here. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you as an inheritance. When you look at everything that the Lord offers to us as believers. Now this is being said to Israel. So he's, he's talking to Moses about them being delivered from the bondage and the burden of Israel. But we know also in our lives God promises to do these same things for us to deliver us from sin. He's done the same thing. We have the deliverance from sin and the freedom from bondage of sin already available to us. And so that's why I said when we study these verses, we're going to be so blessed understanding that the truths of what are being said here, this specifically addresses Israel. But when we look at it and we understand what God has done for us, he's done the same for us in delivering us from our bondage and from our cruel master, uh, the, the, our, our prior master, which was sin. These seven I will statements uh, are speaking of God pouring himself out for his people. Now, I know that we've talked about I, I will statements. These are exact opposite from what Satan would have said uh, and what he did say. Uh, in Isaiah 14, where he was talking about exalting himself, the seven, sorry, the five prideful I will statements. These are our God saying, I'm going to do this for you, that God is pouring himself out and showing himself uh, as trustworthy and, uh, and to be God that they can trust. And so when they see these things and when they heard these things and, and, and Moses is able to preach these things and that God backed every single one of these things up. Will let us be encouraged to know that as God delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt, he offers that deliverance. Yes, forgiveness of sin, but deliverance from a life of sin, right? The freedom from the bonds of sin, 
right? Because, yes, accepting and wanting to be forgiven of our sins. But just like I was saying before uh, with me is, yeah, I want to be forgiven that sin because I don't want to stand accountable to God. But also the freedom to not conduct myself in that way anymore. That God would, actually we just, and this was not done by, I just looked at some songs and said, hey, we'll do, you know, power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. You know, that that there is that power in Christ. So God made big promises to Moses and he uh, came through on each one, one. Moses had to trust him at every step. You notice God, God didn't just give them the victory instantly. God takes them through different steps. That there's, there's a process that happens here. And Moses has to trust him at every one. Moses had just experienced this rejection from the people and from Pharaoh. And he's discouraged. And God encourages him with these words. You know, God is the one. Uh, and he spoke of hearing their cries. He hears our cries and sees our bondage. He's mighty to save and to keep his promises. Let us remember that and let us be able to share that with those who are brand new Christians or those that are seeking the truth, want a life free from the bondage of whatever is, is keeping them. And we can say, hey, you know what? There's freedom from that in Christ. You want to be set free? Do you want to know that your sins are forgiven? Guys, That's a. It, it, there's no greater love that we could share for somebody than to share Christ, right? When you consider Jesus said that you lay down your lives, that's a, that is part of laying down. When we're laying down our will because it's hard to say, when we're willing to lay down and, and humiliate ourselves, maybe, you know, that there would be a point where we might offend somebody, but just lovingly telling them, hey, do you want freedom in Christ? Do you want to be set free? It's here. And, be, and to be able to share that. So us to remember that and us to be able to share it. So God is giving tremendous reassurance to Moses uh, when he questioned the Lord. Verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So because of the anguish of spirit and the cruel bondage, Israel uh, would not heed Moses. This is it's it's horrible to think of how bad that was, you know, uh, because um, it might have been because they, you know, they blamed Moses. Well, yeah, look what look what happened before, and we trusted Moses, and now everything fell apart. We got to get our own straw, and our 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 daily quotas aren't even being reduced, and uh, and all these things. They've got to do so much more work that the straw wouldn't be provided, and everything. Maybe it was that. Maybe they had just lost hope. They're like, yeah, yeah, you said that last time. I'm not saying you're lying. I just don't have any more hope anymore. Life was already bad, and now it's worse. They just weren't buying what Moses had to say anymore, regardless of the reason. But, you know, I know for us, we can get to that point, you know, where things get too bad. And no matter what good word of encouragement, it all seems to be empty and hollow. I don't know if you've been there in your lives. Uh, I know I have <laughs> where I've just read the scripture. I've got to the point where I've been reading and I'm like, it doesn't mean anything to me in my circumstance. It's because... I'm focused on the circumstance and I'm not going to the Lord truly in my heart. I don't at that point, I'm not hundred percent and totally trusting God. I'm still relying upon something else. You see what, what the problem is. And as we're relying on something else, and we're not totally trusting the Lord. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. And that's where we get to that point, isn't it? But that's what our enemy wants. He wants us to get to the point of hopelessness, to say, what is this faith even about? You know, he wants us to heed the voice of people that are telling us, what are you doing in your life? Really? You believe in this made up stuff? Really? Wouldn't Jesus have come back by now? You know, can you really? Okay. How can you trust the Bible? It's written by men. That's a, I love that discussion. Oh man, they, they don't realize, right? Sometimes we get, we get tossed. That soft touch, you know, softball, right? That ball. Uh, have you guys ever watched fast pitch softball? You guys, if you've ever like witnessed this, and I've told you this before, but um, I, uh, I, I was a softball coach for ten years, and it was all like at the little league level. It was never like this great elite level until we got to travel ball, and I had no idea what I was in for. 
And uh, so, you know, we got, went to the point where sometimes coaches were pitching. I always hit the kids. I was awful. I'm not a good pitcher. And uh, so I would be, pit, you know, just tossing the ball. And as I'm talking, you know, it hit them and, you know, they were, they were okay by it. Okay. But that soft toss, you know, coming in that you can just wind up for and crank it. Right. Fast pitch. Uh, I learned from a 12-year-old girl that I was frightened of it. Frightened. That girl, she she travels, and she travels all over the state and all over New England pitching. And I think she's now in high school and just mowing people down still. But I was so scared of a 12-year-old throwing the ball that I'm like, you know, altering how I'm trying to catch, right? Because I don't want to get injured and I'm getting a mask. I, I, I wanted to, right? I wanted to put a, a mask on, but I'm like, I got to act tough and everything, right? It, fast, you know, that fast pitch can be intimidating, right? The hard questions can be intimidating. You know, a soft toss, that's not intimidating to anybody. You can still strike out, though. I've watched grown athletes strike out. It's hilarious. But, but what ends up happening is that soft, we, we're prepared for stuff like that. Those questions, those things that, uh, you know, oh, I notice you're discouraged. Well, how, how come you're discouraged? You, know, you shouldn't be discouraged. I thought you were a Christian now. Right? Right? You guys, you have to understand that's the enemy's voice. You know, that's either our enemy attacking us or the Lord just putting us through a trial, whatever it is. We need to understand that we are not promised a perfect and easy life, you know, that everything's going to go perfectly and, and, and crazy. We're just going to skip on down the Christian road. You know, when Jesus is talking about a narrow road, right? <laughs> narrow is the gate, right? You know, that, that, that it's, uh, it's one of those things that we have to understand the hard times are going to come. Matthew. Now we get to that point where uh, where there is uh, the anguish of spirit and uh, and cruel bondage. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew eleven verses twenty eight through thirty. He says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will learn and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." That's God in the flesh speaking. That's not a different God from the Old Testament, as people will say. That's the same God that's saying here, he's saying uh, that come to me for all you who are, are uh, who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, these guys were literally heavy laden. They had such a burden on them. And, and then take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The rest that we want for our souls only comes in Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to find true rest and true peace for our souls in Christ. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Israel was not experiencing a light burden. And a, they were experiencing extremely heavy yoke and a very heavy burden. Uh, so they weren't able to hear. They were, weren't going to heed Moses. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So the people weren't heeding Moses and Aaron, and God still tells them to go to Pharaoh. You know, God isn't derailed by man's lack of faith or obedience. Right. So when uh, God had had told them, hey, you, you need to go and uh, and do these things, go talk to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh and um, and lead the people out. And Moses's response was, you know, when he says here, you know, I, how will Pharaoh listen to me if the people won't even hear me? That's that that's type of approach. Lord, you sent me before. Now the people won't listen to me. And they were listening to me. Right. And and now Pharaoh, who never listened to me, won't listen to me so now they're both not listening to me and and he says he says i am of, un, of i am of uncircumcised lips 
So, you know, Moses, remember, if you uh, remember in Exodus 4, Moses started by saying that he was wasn't eloquent of speech. Uh, was he saying the same thing in a different way or was he actually saying that uh, he was not worthy to speak because of sin in his life? We don't know. Uh, but what he's saying here, you know, could be uh, could be a way of saying uh, the same thing. But he could be saying that there's you know something similar to what Isaiah said uh, regarding him being a sinner. And Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8 is going to come up. If you'd rather follow along, you can turn there. Uh, but Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one with six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full, full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. Speaking of God, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. You know, was it that type of mindset where Isaiah just said, you know, I, I am of unclean lips and I have a, of a people of unclean lips and that the Lord would would send uh, in, a, a, a seraphim there uh, to you know, touch his lips with the coal from the fire. You know that song that we sing, take me into the holy, take the coal, cleanse my lips. So they came from this, that God, that God would purify. And, and so God did that. He's like, I have a problem. I'm of unclean lips. And God says, I'll take care of that. You know, is, is that what Moses was saying with uncircumcised lips? We don't know. But we know that God is more than capable to cover the inadequacies that we have uh, in our lives and to cover our sin and to wash, not just cover it, but to wash away our sins, take care of our sins. So whatever it is, if we say, God, no, I can't do what you're telling me to do because of X, Y, Z, God's saying, I've taken care of what else do you need? You know, and just boom, 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 boom. He's showing himself strong to Moses and he's he's speaking uh, to, to Moses and he's saying uh, that they still have a mission to do. I love here in verse 13, I love God's response because God doesn't reply to Moses again as he's saying that he's on uncircumcised lips. God doesn't even mention by word. There's no conversation listed further about it. You know, he spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them the command uh, for Israel and to Pharaoh to bring Israel out of Egypt. He goes right into it. There's not that, let's talk about this further, right? Moses says it, God goes right past it. I love it. <laughs> so isn't that awesome? That God had already addressed Moses, and God's like, look, you can do this. You know, I'm sending you forward. Didn't I make man's lips? And he goes on and he explains that he made eyes and ears and all these things. God explains who he was, and Moses still wasn't having it. They're not going to go through that. God had already dealt with that. He's already said it. That would be an, that should be an encouragement to us. If God has already answered our, our questions or our doubts, remember that he's already answered it. God isn't. It's not. It doesn't have to sit there and keep going through this again. Sometimes he's faithful enough to do it. Other times he's going to take us through a whole thing and then go. Remember, I already told you this. We already dealt with this. You know, I've done this with with my kids, and I've done this with my dog. You know, <laughs> I'm not equating my kids to my dogs. Though sounds like it, but I'm not. But but haven't we had to do that before? Like we've already had this conversation, haven't we? And I love that the Lord doesn't even mention it by in a word here. It's not even mentioned. God just says, you need to go to in front of Pharaoh. You need to get Egypt, uh, get Israel and drag them out of there and lead them away. You know, there, he doesn't go back uh, to the argument. So now we get into um, 
uh, some genealogy here. And right in the middle of the conversation, it may seem out of place. It is most definitely not. I guarantee that. Uh, but, but what we see here is a reiteration of uh, what we'll see when we come out at the end of it is God is, is clarifying who this Moses and Aaron are as they move forward because uh, it's going to be important for Israel's history and it's important for us to be able to look at it. Now, we're not going to read every name that's on here. Um, but, but we are going to go through because you know you guys know how bad I am at that. But uh, verse 14 says, these are the heads of the fathers of their houses and uh, the sons of Reuben, uh, the firstborn of Israel. And, and it lists them, the families of Reuben um, and the sons of Simeon and the names that are there. Uh, and it says that Shaul was the son of a Canaanite woman. Then uh, these are the families of Simeon. Verse 16 says, these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. And uh, they're, they're named here, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. See? Uh, and the names of the, uh, sorry, and the years of the life of Levi were 137. So this is, this is the genealogy of Moses and Aaron that's being given here. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimei. Uh, according to their families and the sons of Kohath, uh, their names were there. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of um, Merari uh, were Mushi and uh, Mali and Mushi. You see, I, yeah. Uh, these are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, uh, his father's sister, uh, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Now, that's his aunt. And uh, we discussed in way back in Genesis that back in those days before the gene pool was uh, polluted that that might happen. Um, so uh, whether that was uh, the case, it could have been that this aunt was more along his age. Uh, and, and those things, we don't really know uh, all those things here, but it does say that. And in the years of the life of Amram were 137. The sons of Ishar uh, were Korah. We're going to get to know Korah uh, in our study here uh, as we go through uh, the books of the law. And the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Azaphan, and Zithrai. And uh, the, so the scriptures provide another genealogy seemingly uh, for clarification purposes uh, when we get a little bit further in here. Now, verse 23 says, Aaron took uh, to himself Elishabah, uh, the daughter of Aminadab, uh, uh, the sister of Nashon, as wife. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And those are names that we're also going to get to know a little bit more as we study. Uh, so this is showing Aaron's lineage. And uh, we'll cover his sons more as we progress. Verse 24 says, The sons of Korah, uh, and it lists, lists them, and these are the families of the Korah, uh, Korah, uh, Korahites. Um, now, Korah in Numbers 16, uh, if you end up reading ahead or you want to do some study, uh, that, that Korah ends up uh, in, in a bad, <laughs> bad spot. Uh, for his rebellion against the Lord. Verse 25, Eleazar, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel as wife, and she bore him Phineas. And these were the heads of the fathers of the Levites according to their families. These, uh, so as I said before we got into this genealogy, verse 26 solidifies that. These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord spoke. Uh, to whom the Lord said, sorry, uh, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. So we know now why the genealogy was set, uh, was put here. It shows us that God had prepared Moses and Aaron for this ministry that he had called them to. Uh, considering uh, being called and, and how God brought this about, even, even through uh, them being born. Jeremiah 1.5, uh, the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, uh, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. 
So they were born, and God knew that he had a plan for them. And we've seen that unfold as we started even, even reading in Exodus, that he was a beautiful child. And, uh, and then we got into some cross-referencing uh, from Hebrews and from Acts, and, uh, and looking at uh, how these things from Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews 11 and how they spoke and shed some more light on who uh, Moses was when, even when he was born as a baby. Uh, and we saw that the Lord miraculously provided uh, protection for him. So uh, they, uh, as, as we're looking uh, into everything here, these are the same guys uh, that were called. There should be no question. And understand that if God calls us to do something, he will enable us to do it. Uh, we've heard where God guides, he provides. This is where God has called us to do something. He is going to enable us to do it. Saying that we can't speak, saying that we don't we qualify or whatever, we're just wasting our precious breaths that we've been given. And we're wasting our time, and we're going to find ourselves at the end of it knowing that we robbed ourselves. Uh, and you know, we'll grow from it, but you know, we, we might have a scar or two looking back going, oh, why did I fight with the Lord on that? Verse 28 says, And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh lead me? So God addressed Moses' frustration, his complaints, his doubts, uh, and uh, you know he does and will do the same for us. So that's a summary there, that when Moses went to the Lord with, with these things, God just addressed them all. They didn't go unanswered. God direct, directly addressed every single one of these, either now or in past conversations with Moses. So he didn't have to reiterate things, but he did reassure him in a lot of different ways, as we just read in chapter 6. Chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron shall, be, uh, shall tell uh, Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may... Uh, that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians uh, shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So chapter 7 starts with God telling Moses his role and Aaron's role. Moses was the leader. He's younger. He's three years younger than than his brother Aaron. <clears throat> and uh, he's also younger than Miriam. And we'll see that uh, Miriam and uh, Aaron, and we've already uh, touched on this in, in uh, prior studies in, in Exodus, that uh, they, they do end up having a problem with Moses later down the road. But God established Moses as the leader, regardless of age. Um Age didn't matter to the Lord. God had made Moses the leader. In fact, uh, speaking of Jeremiah that we just looked at, that's a cool study. If Just reading in, in the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is arguing with the Lord that he's too young. <laughs> you know, but so it's, it's be encouraged, guys, okay? We should not have the doubts when the Lord is leading us to do something. But if we do, it's nothing God hasn't said before, hasn't heard before, and it's in the word of God is our answer, right? So where God is saying, hey, don't worry about being a youth. Who cares if you're a youth? He didn't say it that way, right? You know, Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. If you're called by the Lord to do something, do it. You know, you can't sit there and try to disqualify yourself. Your enemy will try to disqualify you. But if God is telling you one thing and, and you're going the other way, you know, whose voice are we listening to? So uh, God uh, told Moses that he was to be as the leader uh, and uh, he would speak as God and uh, that Aaron was to be the spokesman and he would play the role as prophet. Uh, so Moses was a leader. Aaron was his spokesman uh, and Aaron was in submission to Moses based on God's command. And God said, you shall speak all that I command to you. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 
multiply my signs and wonders, but Pharaoh will not heed you. So God is preparing Moses for opposition and rejection again and telling Moses that he knows that they're coming. Expect these things. Moses, uh, that, that, that Pharaoh's not going to listen, but God says that he's going to multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt uh, and, and that he was going to be able to show himself strong. And he says, I will uh, bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. You know, God was preparing. God's saying, hey, you're going to speak. You're going to do these things. And you're going to do as I tell you to do. And uh, Pharaoh's not going to listen. Just understand, I've already told you that his heart's going to be hard. Keep moving forward. And we discussed last week the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, where God said, I will harden his heart. His heart was already hard. He was already a cruel master, and he was already uh, one of the uh, one in the murderous line of pharaohs uh, that was uh, just committing mass murder on the people of Egypt and also uh, being a cruel leader and a cruel dictator. Uh, so this man uh, did not deserve God's mercy, and God didn't need to give it to him, and uh, neither do we, but God still does. You know, God can choose who he wants to give mercy to. You know, and that we talked about that. You know, God's not unjust in doing that. That's a hard thing sometimes to wrap our minds around. But we understand God's desire is to give mercy and is to give grace. And that, that all would be saved and come to repentance. We understand that from the scriptures. But there are some that will set their heart so hard against him that anything that's done, uh, they're just going to see it uh, with doubt in their eyes. And their heart is going to be, be harder uh, no matter what. So uh, verse 10, uh, it, it's, uh, are we at verse 10? No, we're verse 6, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so backing up just a little bit, these are all familiar things to Moses' ear. Sometimes we just need reassurance. I just had to share that because the Lord spoke to me with that. Is We may know, we may, Moses has already heard this stuff a few times, right? Sometimes we're a little hard of hearing, right? You know, I, uh, I, I just... I can relate to that. Sometimes we're just, uh, you know, we got to hear things uh, maybe a few times and then fine, I'll do it. But, uh, you know, he gets the reassurance. Verse six, then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. They uh, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to, uh, to Pharaoh. This is always the best thing for us to do in any situation. If we're ever wondering what's the best thing to do in any situation, it is 100% always to do so just as the Lord commanded us to do so, so they did. 100% of the time. There's never, ever a time where God's going to tell us to compromise in our lives that, that he's going to say, hey, I know I told you to do this, but I really it's okay if you just do this. 100% of the time, it's going to be that Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. 100% of the time, when God commands us to do something, that means he wants us to do that. And we are to do that. We shall do that, right? And if we say, I shall not, then that's where we end up getting ourselves in trouble. But they did exactly what God, I love that. And they did so just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. You know, it's not, uh, you know, there's not just the part that um, they, uh, you know, we cherry pick things, right? <laughs> you guys ever, uh, you guys ever play like backyard basketball or football and there was the rule, no cherry picking. You ever heard that? I don't, I don't even know what cherry, like the actual cherry picking is. But for me, what cherry picking meant was no cheating, right? So you couldn't just be like standing there waiting for when your team got the ball and you're already on the other end of it, right? Where, where you just do what you want to do. You know, the God God doesn't call us to cherry pick what we're going to listen to and what we're not going to listen to. We're called to uh, obey him no matter what. So they did that. For the, for the Christian, God's word is the authority of our lives. We don't get to pick and choose what it is. We either follow the Lord or we're going to follow our own will. This is an 80-year-old man and an 83-year-old man. And, uh, you know, they... they um, seemingly were done arguing with the Lord on the topic and they moved forward and they obeyed uh, the command of the Lord. Verse eight, 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, uh, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went in to Pharaoh, and they did, they did so just as the Lord commanded. There it is again. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, uh, so the magicians of Egypt, they, uh, they also did in like manner uh, with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now there's a lot in there. Uh, and this is one of those scriptures where people are going to say, really? This is what you believe? That somebody could take a piece of wood down and it turns into a serpent? It, th guys, if God created this earth by speaking it into existence, this is nothing. For Aaron to take his rod and throw it down to the ground. All right, Aaron has a rod. Uh, Moses also has a rod. So when we're considering what's happening here, and when you look at pharaohs, magicians, and sorcerers and everything that are involved in demonic practices and that they're able to do it, there's a lot to process here. So we're going to go through it. Verses 8 and 9, God had prepared Moses and Aaron for Pharaoh's request for miracles. Again, they did so just as the Lord had commanded. And in verse 10, it says that Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Now, this is a different word than the word serpent in Exodus chapter 4, uh, where it was uh, more speaking of a snake. Uh, it's a different Hebrew word. Uh, this word here is tanin, um, and, uh, which would, uh, so um, I can't remember the other word. I should have written it down. But there's a different word if you look in, in um, uh, the, the ancient text and how they were translated. There's a different word there that speaks of snake. This word is, is speaking of a dragon, serpent, or even a sea monster, maybe even a crocodile, which was a symbol in Egypt. Uh, I'm led more to believe that it might have been uh, more of a type of a crocodile or whatever. Now, there are some verses here uh, for us to consider, some scriptures. Uh, Psalm 74, verse 13. It says, you divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. And the same word for serpent used there is tanin, uh, meaning dragons or something different there. Ezekiel 29 verse 3 says, speak and say, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of his waters, who has said, my river is my own. I have made it for myself. The same monster um, that's being said there is speaking of a dragon. Tanin, the same word is used. So different than Exodus 4, but uh, we, do we know exactly what it is? I don't know. Um, but the Egyptians, uh, because of the crocodiles uh, that would uh, be in their waters, uh, often um, would uh, use crocodiles as symbols in Egypt. So maybe it was that. So Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh asked his sorcerers and the wise men to do the same, and they did through uh, demonic power, you know, God giving them over to sorcery that they had they had practiced. And, you know, he at least they at least gave the, the appearance that they could perform miracles. It is a miracle uh, to take a piece of wood, throw it down, and it turns into a serpent. OK, um, you know, and it what happened here is them being being able to do it by a demonic powers still caused Pharaoh to doubt. And it still didn't. It, it caused his heart to harden. And God uh, had given the devil, apparently given the devil permission uh, to allow them to do so to accomplish God's will. But you notice Aaron's swallowed up theirs. Aaron's serpent swallowed up all of their serpents. So this is a sign from God that his power was superior to theirs. You see, even in, in them being able to do it, God says, yeah, go ahead and do it. I wonder what that looked like, right? You know, it's just, you know, there's their blood all over the floor. And, you know, what does that look like? I don't know. But they were. we have a, a bearded dragon. And uh, it's really cool to watch him eat, but I always feel really bad for the mealworms. 
because they're like this long, right? And he won't eat his, um, he won't eat like any of the greens we try to give him. He'll, we'll put them down. He'll just look, he'll, he'll just look at me like, what? You know, it doesn't matter at all. Then I take one of these little worms, right? And I, and I'll, um, I, I can even put it in my hand, which I don't anymore because these ones can actually bite you. So, but, uh, but I'll put it on, on like a lid, or I'll just drop it in, and he, and I can just see him, and just violently chewing these things. I have to imagine that this was a pretty violent uh, thing that they all uh, just witnessed here. So either way, uh, God showed that his power was superior to theirs. You know, still, all those, although theirs were swallowed up, Pharaoh had enough um, to see here that his doubt grew and his heart grew even more hard. Important to understand here, though, is just because they were able to do something supernatural doesn't mean that it was right or true. OK, so just because they had this and, and that it doesn't mean that, hey, well, they, they must be right with God because they were able to do so. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verses nine through 12. This is uh, this is going to provide a great answer for us. Uh, verse nine says <clears throat> the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. You see that you see the correlation here? with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you see the correlation between this scripture and what we're reading there, just because they were able to do it, it doesn't mean that it was God that did it. When you look here, it says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all work, with all power, signs and lying wonders to woe, to wow everybody and to get everybody to follow after him. You see that, you know, God will, and it even says God will send them strong delusion. There was strong delusion happening here in Pharaoh's heart. Making it hard. So now we see here in verse uh, 14 that the plagues begin. You know, all uh, have a specific meaning. And uh, uh, so as we get through here, we'll uh, we'll discuss those. Uh, you know, it, it looks like we're, we're in pretty good time to finish the chapter, thankfully. So verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which you turned, which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So verse 14, uh, we see that Pharaoh was not without blame. He was, as we discussed earlier, a cruel dictator. Uh, the Pharaohs had been murderous and uh, been incredibly uh, cruel and oppressive. And God was and is not obligated to do anything on behalf of Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's heart was already hard and cruel. Uh, God just used him for his will is what we see happening here. Verse 15, uh, it says that, you know, God, uh, God, uh, told them to go to Pharaoh in the morning, stand by the riverbank, take your rod with you, uh, and and say that the Lord God of the Hebrews had sent them and let my people go. You would not hear. Uh, the, he would not hear. Right? So they, they have to go with a rebuke. So they're there with the rod that you know, no doubt, everybody's looking at it. Right? <laughs> when they're showing up, they're like, he's got it in his hand again. What's going to happen this time? Right? And they had to go with a message of let my people go. And if you've seen the movie, right, you know, you're probably hearing Charlton Heston and where they're saying, let my people go and all that stuff, right? So, and, uh, but you would not hear him. But there's a strong message here. 
By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Remember his first response to the Lord? Who is the Lord? You know, he's like, I don't care who you're talking about. You're not going. You guys are being lazy. Now I'm turning up uh, the heat on you guys. Things are going to get a lot harder. So uh, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. So the waters are going to be turned into the into blood when he struck uh, uh, when they're struck by the rod. And fish will die. The river will stink. Egyptians will loathe to drink the water. The smell of dead fish is the worst. Have you guys ever been around? Like uh, Jen and I took the girls when they were pretty young to. Uh, uh, this little swimming hole that we used to go to in Bucksport. And, you know, we get over there and I'm like, what is that smell? You know, and we're like trying to get in the water, but there's like oil on the top. And I'm like, I'm like, Jen, I can't get like, I can't put the kids in here and I'm not going in there. I don't know what's going on, but all these fish are floating and they're, they're dead and they're stinking. And I'm like, it's the way you guys dead fish. It's gross. Right. And, uh, you know, rotten fish, anything like that. You know, so they're going to be dealing with this. Imagine in the Middle East sun, oh, you know, fish just baking in the sun after being dead. Oh, you know, and the water supplies are extremely valuable to any society, especially, uh, you know, they're absolutely vital. Um, so this is quite a thing. Verse 19, then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch it, stretch it out, uh, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over their pools of water, uh, that they may become blood. And they shall become, um, and they shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. So there's no water that, that's going to be um, uh, exempt from this. Verse 20, and Moses and Aaron did so, here it is again, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river uh, were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the uh, Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was uh, blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So, oh, <laughs> just sounds awful, doesn't it? You know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart is hard and he's not listening and here they come, uh, you know, early in the morning and they have this happen. You know, God told them to meet there and to do this and they did. And uh, and God had spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, again, reinforcing that he was the leader. Aaron did what he was told to and uh, they they all the the, the land and uh, all the water in the land turned to blood and um understanding in Egypt's pagan minds, events like the annual flood of the Nile, um, and that would fertilize their croplands, they thought that that was evidence that their gods were blessing them and that their gods were powerful and they were in their, their many pagan gods' wills. So this happening was right in the face of their pagan worship. Verse 22, then the Egyptians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Uh, and Pharaoh's heart uh, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river uh, for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So I don't know, uh, were they able to change like one bucket full of water or whatever it was, but for seven days, this remained as it was. And regardless of what, guys, that's quite a thing to see. All the water in the land turned to blood, all the fish die, it stinks, all just so gross. But Pharaoh saw enough from his you know, magic trick boys there, you know, uh, that uh, that he just said, no, that's OK. I'm going back into my house. Not really worried about it. I think he was probably thinking when he went into his house, he's got plenty of water sitting in there. Much to his chagrin. I don't even know what chagrin means, but that line just came out. Right. Uh, uh, to a surprise. How, how about we say that? Uh, that wouldn't have been the case. Seven days had passed. That's a lot of time to smell stinky fish. And it says here that they had to try to find water, that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to dig around, uh, trying to find water. What an awful thing. You know, this isn't, you know, when you look at it and, and they were able to do uh, a little bit, it's not God uh, failing to beat out their sorcerers, but again, 
uh, he's able to do things on the grand scale, and these guys can whip up a little concoction and make a little something happen. You know, he's slowly judging Egypt. This is the beginning of it, and he's showing his might. He's also addressing their pagan beliefs. As I, as I alluded to already, the first plague uh, was a judgment of Apis, uh, Ap Apis, Apis, whatever they say it, uh, the god of the Nile. Also, Isis was uh, the goddess of the Nile. Um, and I, Kanum, uh, K-H-N-U-M, would have been the guardian of the Nile. They actually would write um, hymns uh, to the Nile because of uh, how the Nile had blessed them. Uh, I listened to Joe Foch actually read one of those on my way down here. And I was like, wow, it's really creepy. But that's what they did. So they believed the Nile to be actually the bloodstream of Osiris, who uh, would have been the ruler of the underworld. And that it, it's really weird stuff, right? Uh, and then they were reborn every year when the river flooded. That's crazy stuff. This is all happening. And when all this catastrophe had happened, uh, uh, Pharaoh's heart, I'm trying to say Pharaoh's heart too fast. Pharaoh's heart was still hard. He didn't care anymore. But it says here, by this you will know that I am the you know, there, there was something was going to happen here that was undeniable. And for seven days, they had blood for water and stinky fish and just gross. And, and the Lord is just getting started. There are nine more plagues that are going to come. You know, we've got frogs and lice coming uh, right up that we'll talk about next week. And, and we'll move into them. Things that we don't want to deal with. But uh, so what we see here is the Lord beginning to judge as he promised in Genesis 15 to Abram that, that he was going to judge this nation and, uh, and he's beginning to do so. And there are a lot of lessons for us to learn of, of God's dialogue that he had with, uh, with Moses and reminding him of the covenant, reminding him of what he was going to do. The seven I will statements there that are comforting for us to learn. Uh, that have how he ministered to, to uh, Israel and how he ministers to us. There's a lot here, so I encourage you to go back and read those again. Read Exodus 6 and 7 again and just see and study it. Take some time, especially on verses 2 through, I think it was 8 uh, there, and you're going to be blessed and see how the Lord just calmly just describing all these things to Moses. So let's pray. So, God, we are so uh, grateful for your word and, and how you encourage us through it. We pray that you would please help us to uh, grow and, and to retain what is here and apply these truths to our lives. And uh, so much so that we not only will be able to be encouraged by them, but be ready to share as we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.